Teach me about the Great Lakes. Teach me about the Great Lakes. Welcome back to Teach Me About the Great Lakes, an exactly monthly podcast in which I, a Great Lakes novice, get people who are smarter and harder working than I am to teach me all about the Great Lakes. My name is Stuart Carlton, and I work with Illinois Indiana Sea Grant, and I'm joined, as always, by Hope Charters, our communication coordinator. Hope, how's it going? I'm great. How are you? I am also great. Thanks for asking. Actually, I'm really excited this month because one of my favorite things we do is uh, the, these buoys that we have. Uh, we have two yellow buoys that are out on the Great Lakes all the time collecting data. Well, fi- uh, figuratively all the time, not really all the time, much of the time out there collecting data and, and sending it back. And it's one of the most fun and useful things we do. And they have like a Twitter account and everything. And so this month we're bringing what is going to be a two-part episode on the buoys. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. Uh, so I'm good. How about you? I think we already asked that. <laughs> yeah, I love anyway. We get yeah. people uh, emailing and calling about our buoys all the time. So yeah, it, it's definitely in many ways, it's like the most popular and impactful thing we do. And so I'm super <laughs> fired up about it. And technically we do have four buoys, not just two. Just We need more booties? We, oh, we have, have four. We have buoys that we partner with. Yep. And then we own Yeah. Buoys. So we got the two buoys and then we got the partner buoys. That's a total of four buoys. But there are more buoys than just those four buoys. Which brings us to today's guest. We're going to talk with uh, Kelly Page, who is the CEO of the Great Lakes Observing System, or GLOSS as we know it. And I'm really excited to talk to Kelly. So let's just go ahead and bring her on uh, right after the interstitial music. This pandemic lasts much longer. We're going to have a lot more songs recorded uh kelly page welcome to teach me about the great lakes how are you today i'm great thank you for having me really excited to hear about what you're doing with uh gloss and and what it is well let's just start with that what is gloss i I know after reading that it's the great lakes observing system but what does that mean yeah so gloss we're actually a 501c3 nonprofit organization um and our mission is to provide end-to-end data services that support science, policy, management, and industry in the Great Lakes. So we support a variety of different um, projects around the region, um, doing data collection, data management, and sharing that data, making it um, widely publicly available. Interesting. And so when you say data, like what kind of data are, are people collecting or do y'all collect? Well, it's a a lot of different kinds of data. So mostly about um, the conditions of the lakes themselves, like the temperature, waves, how fast the water is moving, what direction it's moving in, um, temperature at different depths, uh, and and information about things living in the water like um, algae or fish. Uh, So it's really a a wide variety of information, anything that tells us about the conditions in the lakes. So what was that? Sorry. Sorry. Who uses the data? Um, A lot of different people. So obviously you can expect that researchers uh, and scientists would be interested in the information um, to learn more about, you know, changes that are happening in the lakes um, over time. Uh, But we have a lot of people like recreational boaters or uh, drinking water utilities uh, that get their um, water from the lakes that use the information, you know, to make decisions on a uh, daily basis about whether or not it's safe to go out in the water or whether it's safe to, to use the water and drink it. 
And so the booths are not like right by the shores, right? So would swimmers be able to use this data too? Absolutely. So we have uh, like beach managers who, uh, for instance, might use the information to decide whether or not the conditions are so hazardous that they would have to um, shut down a beach. But, uh, you know, everyday, you know, members of the public who are, you know, just going out to enjoy a day at the beach can also look at the information and see, oh, you know, the waves are really high today. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't look like a safe day um, to be out swimming and that kind of thing. So, yeah, people who surf, people who swim, kayakers, you know, really any any member of the general public can use this information. So what I hear is like you have all this cool data that you're collecting through buoys and other means. And I want to talk about the means in a bit, but I actually want to go a little farther back if we can. So like, yeah. how, did, how did this start? Was this, I don't know how long you've been with Gloss, but, but you know, there's all this info. Did y'all just start to like bring it all together? Was there a need or did y'all start collecting this data and then expand? How did, how did that go exactly? Sure. So actually uh, we're one of 11 regions of a federal program um, that's uh, managed through NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Um, and it, the federal program is called the IUS program or the Integrated Ocean Observing System. And essentially around uh, 2007, eight time period, um, the federal government uh, was kind of taking stock of all the different federal agencies that were doing um, monitoring in the oceans, coasts, and Great Lakes. There's a lot of federal agencies um, that have jurisdiction and responsibility for, um, you know, doing monitoring. Uh, NASA, you know, has satellite imagery that they're collecting. USGS uh, tracks fisheries and has stream gauges. NOAA obviously does a lot of monitoring um, in the oceans. EPA uh, obviously has a lot of water quality and uh, regulatory needs um, for their data collection. And the notion was, shouldn't all of these federal agencies be coordinated in the different monitoring um, that they're doing uh, to make sure that, you know, they're sort of avoiding duplication, but also leveraging um, their activities the best way possible and sharing the data that they're collecting with one another um, so that we can, you know, get the, the best use out of it. And so our role as a regional node of this federal program is to take all of that partnership and coordination that's happening at the federal level and leverage all the activities that are happening in our region. So if you think about it, you know, we have a ton of universities in the Great Lakes region, state and local government agencies that are also um, doing their own monitoring, all of our Canadian counterparts, you know, so provincial uh, government agencies and uh, Canadian universities as well. You know, there's so many different groups out there that are collecting data for, you know, any given purpose. And, uh, you know, our role is to really help make sure that all those efforts can be coordinated and that um, it's easy for everybody to access and share that data. Oh, I see. So, so all the data that you have are not necessarily things that you're collecting. You don't own like a hundred buoys right. and have uh, armies of technicians out there. So you're, you're more in like a, a gathering role and sort of quality assurance. Is that the kind of thing too? 
Yeah, yeah. We um, so we're actually certified through the federal government um, to uh, manage the data. So we have to adhere to certain um, quality control standards and making sure that all of the data is available through open source protocols and that kind of thing. Um, and essentially it's a certification that we got as a data assembly center through the federal government. Um, and so this makes it easy for, um, other scientists or researchers, other government agencies to access the data, you know, use it, um, for their, you know, research or modeling purposes. Um, and it also makes it easier for, uh, like technology companies to make this data into more user-friendly applications. Um, so things that, you know, those of us who aren't scientists, <laughs> um, can easily understand, um, and interpret to help make decisions about whether or not we can use the lakes. Oh, I see. So like, yeah, so you kind of have different audiences you're serving then, right? Some are like the scientists are using it, but there is some public facing stuff as well. And that's mm -hmm. kind of where you're saying that the boaters may do it or something like that. Yeah. Huh. huh. So, so where do you get this? So we know you got buoys. We know you have at least four buoys, but you actually have many more than that that you help to track. Um, what other types of data collection sources are there out there? Is it, is it mainly through buoys or is it, you know, more people going out and doing it manually? What kind of, what kind of stuff do y'all pull in? Yeah, there's so a lot of the real time information does come from buoys, but there are a lot of other types of, uh, you know, observing equipment that are out there. So um, radars, sonars, I mentioned satellite uh, observations, there's underwater uh, gliders and other autonomous vehicles. Whoa. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we support um, uh, projects for where there's fish tagging and tracking um, tagged fish throughout the Great Lakes region. So there are a lot of different ways to collect data. Um, and so, you know, part of our job is to help make sure that people who are collecting data can share it in an easy way. All right. I'm a person, I'm interested in, in data, right? Uh, uh, both as a professional scientist, well, paper pushing scientist, and, uh, but maybe also as, a, as someone who uh, likes to think that they're the type of person that does outdoor recreation. Uh, what are some cool things that have been done with gloss data, I think, that uh, you know, might be fun to hear about? One of the things I think is really interesting is how um, local communities are using data from uh, gloss-supported uh, researchers and buoys. So there are cities like Milwaukee, Wisconsin or Cleveland, Ohio, uh, that are actively, you know, on a day to day basis using, uh, the data that's coming from these buoys to make decisions about how to treat water so that it can be used for drinking water purposes or whether people can, you know, go out and recreate in the lake without, um, concern. And, you know, when we think about the type of monitoring that's being done through the federal agencies, they're not always necessarily able to get, uh, you know, great coverage for local communities. And so where GLOSS can kind of help um, bridge the gap is to provide that local community data for folks and, and support those efforts for the information that, you know, community is going to use directly to make decisions about how to support their constituents. So if people want to get a hold of the data on GLOSS, how do they, how do they access it? 
Yeah. So the main way is just to go to our website. Uh, so you can go to gloss.org and it'll point you to a variety of different um, applications and websites. The primary um, website, though, I would suggest people go to is our data portal. So that's it's a, it can be a bit of a fire hose of information because it's all the data uh, that we're able to aggregate and provide access to. Uh, the website there is portal.gloss.us. Um, but this kind of that the portal gives you, um, I think, the best sense of all the different kinds of data that are out there, models, satellite imagery, you know, real time stations um, along the shoreline or buoys that are out in the water. Um, uh, yeah, and- look at all this stuff. I'm there now. This is great. <laughs> Yeah. And so, um, so if you can see like all those little blue dots that are there, um, are the shoreline stations. Uh, right now there aren't a lot of buoys in the water because we have to take buoys out, uh, you know, in anticipation of the winter and possible, um, you know, ice issues that, that will happen when the lakes freeze over. And so folks usually don't redeploy the buoys until the spring. So usually April, May time period is probably as early as most people will be getting the buoys out. I'm not sure actually this year, um, if folks are going to be able to get their, um, buoys out that early, um, given yeah, we're in discussions about that now and it's, it's yeah. a challenge with the pandemic. I don't know when we're, I don't know what the current plan is other than sometime. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you can also, you know, there's a, um, if you're on the website now, you'll probably see like a green bounding box and that's, um, an indication, you know, you can, um, if you're on the map view, I should say. Yeah. They have a map view and a catalog view. And we'll put right. a link to this in the show notes, which are available at, uh, www.teachmeaboutthegreatlakes.com. Uh, or if you're listening to this on like your phone, just look down at your podcast player and you can click on the link from there. Yeah. And so you can, if you're on the map uh, view, you can kind of uh, see a sense of what types of data are out there and then do a, um, a more in-depth search um, on the left side uh, in the legend area um, for, you know, other uh, data that might be of interest to you. And so a lot of times people like to look at um, data in a particular geographic area where they're from, or maybe they have a particular um, type of data that they're interested in, like temperature or waves. Um, and those are good ways to search um, through the holdings of data that we have and find what you're you're looking for. Oh, yeah. For example, if you search for Illinois, you can then go straight to Illinois, Indiana, Sea Grant buoy, um, <laughs> one of the buoys that we have up there. Oh, that's great. Well, I do encourage everybody to check this out. It seems like a really neat place to dig around. Uh, and find some different stuff. That is cool. But I'm going to close it now because otherwise I will spend the rest of this interview <laughs> that instead of right. So earlier you were saying buoys provide things like uh, wind and wave data and temperatures and stuff. Um, but if you look at the bigger picture, like what have we learned about the Great Lakes from actually being able to aggregate all this data and look at it all together rather than individually? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I actually think that um, I'm not sure that I have a, a good direct answer to that. Um, but I, what's been really interesting to me to see over time since I've been at Gloss is how um, greater access to all of these different diverse pieces of information have actually created a bigger demand um, from, you know, just a variety of different stakeholders 
for being able to access this information easier and even um, has like created more complex questions, I think, that people are looking to answer. So it's almost more that this has revealed uh, that there's so much more potential out there. Um, and people are, I think, um, a little bit more um, interested in figuring out how to realize the full potential of that. So here's an example that I'll give. Um, when I first started at Gloss, which was around 2009, we were doing um, some focus groups with recreational boaters in upstate New York. And we were asking them, you know, uh, how do you um, like to get information about whether or not you're going to um, take a trip boating that weekend um, where do you look for information, that kind of thing, like learning more about what their their information needs were. Um, and at the time, you know, they indicated that they mainly visited, uh, you know, websites um, and looked up things like what the weather forecast is going to be and that kind of stuff from a desktop computer. Um, they really like to have a forecast you know, maybe three or four days out in advance. And ultimately they would make a decision maybe like on a Thursday or a Friday about whether or not they were going to go out and take the boat out for the weekend. Right. Um, and it wasn't, but just like a few years later that a lot of um, those assumptions about how people were going to consume and use data change. Um, so, you know, at the time they didn't really feel like, uh, using uh, or having a mobile-friendly website or a mobile app was going to necessarily be super useful to them um, because cell service wasn't so great. These are people in upstate New York, so they were near the Canadian border and there were issues with cell coverage, um, you know, um, near the border and that kind of thing. But then just a few years later, you know, uh, everyone uh, is on their phone. Uh, we did a survey recently um, and found out that uh, around 78% of our uh, website visitors self-identify as recreational boaters, and they overwhelmingly access the data on our mobile-friendly website, glbuoys.org, uh, and they really prefer more real-time information, not so much um, the forecasts that we had heard before. So I think that um, seeing how... Um, people's uh, preferences for how they access information change over time has been like one of the most like revealing and inspiring things to me working at Gloss because it really um, imitates, I think, this shift like culturally that we have and wanting yeah. on-demand information and making decisions like in a more on-demand way. Yeah, I was going to imagine a boater like trying to plan three days out now because the data is so <laughs> readily available that they would just get on their phone the morning of and be like, Oh, right. is this a good way to go out? Yeah, right. Looks right. Like exactly. Yeah. But doing that, it never occurred to me that you're right. What we require now for these sorts of instantaneous decisions is, is just, we need data and we need information. And, right. and so the critical role that you play is, is gathering and, and combining all that data into something actionable. And that's, that's really cool. And, and you're right, the way it mirrors the transition in society uh, to, a, you know, and you could even get dime store sociological if you wanted to, which I do, uh, <laughs> and, and talk about, you know, kids these days or whatever. But that's, that's really interesting. Yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, so, but staying on top of technology is really important, I think. Like, and so I know you have this, uh, is it called the Smarter Great Lakes Initiative? Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that and like how you're adapting as more sensors become available and, you know, just as the world changes? Yeah. So, um, c- kind of responding to that um, change in trends that we've seen over time and how people like to consume information and also these, you know, more wicked problems and wicked challenges where people are just demanding like more, better use of all that big data that's out there. We sort of said to ourselves as an organization, like, geez, you know, shouldn't we be taking better advantage of all these technology advances that are out there um, to help, you know, improve the way that we learn about the lakes and make decisions about the lakes? And so that's kind of where the inspiration for the Smart Great Lakes initiative came from. And so part of, um, you know, in addition to, you know, trying to kind of use all these information technology advances um, to our advantage and, make better information products. We're also really interested in incentivizing people to use um, more innovative um, monitoring technologies. So if you think about, you know, the way that um, like temperature can be crowdsourced from um, people's, you know, home uh, weather stations, uh, one app that we, that we use a lot as an example is Waze, and how you can get, um, you know, shortcut travel directions based on kind of real-time crowdsourced information about, you know, where there are um, uh, traffic jams and that kind of thing. You know, couldn't we be um, taking advantage of some of these other uh, cheaper, um, easier to use, um, you know, more commercial off-the-shelf monitoring devices um, and using that to like really enrich the, right. the information that's available to us. Um, also, how do we generally transmit the data and make it available, you know, over a website? There's a lot of sort of manual, uh, um, you know, just older processes for doing that. How can we maybe um, update some of these devices so that they're transmitting the data directly to the cloud or even maybe doing some of the data processing on the device itself so that you don't have to, you know, um, download it, have a researcher, you know, go through all the information and post-process it and then make it available um, to the public. You know, where are some of these advances in um, machine learning or artificial intelligence that we can take advantage of to get us that data faster and more on demand, you know, in the way that people are, are needing it to help make decisions. Um, So those are some of the things that we're hoping um, to or some of the projects that we're hoping to fund in the future and and ideas that we're hoping to incentivize moving forward to help, you know, kind of bring the whole region to this smarter, uh, (laughs) smarter status. Yeah, that's really interesting, especially because this month is uh, Citizen Science Month. Yeah. And so I love the idea of bringing people from the community together to give you more data. Um, the only thing I would be worried about is that would you then have to worry about quality or would you have certain devices that you would have approved um, that people could use from their homes? Yeah, I think, you know, there is in terms of, I guess, the 
QA side of things, the quality assurance side of things, making sure that people are using the devices properly and, you know, have, um, you know, maintain them or set them up in a way that's, you know, providing them with the best data. Um, but we have, you know, again, like the more prolific, uh, the number of devices are like the easier it is to sort of on the quality control side of things like weed out the data that's maybe, you know, not reporting the best quality information and that kind of thing. So again, there's sort of like trade-offs everywhere, but if we're, you know, making a best effort to use all of the potential technology advances that are available to us, then, you know, there are ways to overcome some of those obstacles. Yeah, that's awesome. And what's really exciting is what we don't even know, I think, what kind of questions that's going to enable people to ask, right? Yeah. And yeah, so that's exciting. Well, Kelly, we like to wrap up with a couple of questions that are the real reason that I brought you on here. All of this gloss is interesting. It is. And I encourage people to go uh, check it out. But here's the most important question of the day. If you could choose to have a great donut for breakfast or a great sandwich for lunch, either of those two, but only one, which would you choose? <laughs> Well, I absolutely love donuts, but donuts do not love me. I'm not the type of person that can eat a lot of sweets. <laughs> so I'd have to say a great sandwich. <laughs> All right. And then the follow-up, this is, now we're getting, we're honing in on what I, the information I need. Yeah. Uh, where in your hometown can I get a really great sandwich for lunch? Oh, Zingerman's, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Zingerman's is famous. They use the fanciest ingredients. Uh, which makes for the most delicious, if not c kind of expensive. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm a fancy boy, though, so this is okay. Yeah, I do. I do. No, I drink. I I drink with my pinky out, not because I'm fancy, <laughs> but because I need like the counterbalance. Because uh, I guess I'm very weak. Um, Zingerman's in Ann Arbor. All right, I will definitely check it out next time I'm there. I need to go visit my friends at Michigan Sea Grant anyway. And we'd like to wrap up with uh, like a little bit of uh, life advice. You know, it could be serious. It could be silly. Um, it could be big. It could be small. But is there like one piece of life advice in your travels that you have that you'd like to share with our listeners? Sure. Yeah. I think my favorite uh, saying comes from RuPaul, the uh, drag performer. Uh, and that is, we're all born naked and the rest is drag. And the reason why I absolutely love that saying <laughs> I love it. Um, is because um, it kind of reminds us that fundamentally we're all equal. We're all the same. We're all born naked, right? And some of these, um, you know, things like what we wear, what car we drive, even to some extent, like what career path we choose, you know, are really just constructs of this identity that we're trying to form for ourselves. And if we get too focused on trying to, you know, curate or cultivate that identity, we start to lose, you know, our ability to connect with other people. Um, and, and I guess to try to tie it back to uh, the Great Lakes, you know, I sort of feel like the Great Lakes is a natural resource that we all share as humans, you know, we all um, have an interest in, you know, trying to remember that like common connection that we share and trying to protect um, and conserve the Great Lakes um, in the interest of like having that shared human connection. So to me, it's all about, you know, maintaining authenticity, you know, remembering like at the, at the end of the day, 
I'm, I was born naked <laughs> and all the rest of this is drag. Like stay true to yourself, stay true to your authentic instincts. And that help will help carry you through the challenges that you face in life. Can we get a round of applause in here? Yeah. Was- um, uh, no, no, I'll have to install that later. I can get a car crash. That's what we got. Um, however, that deserves much more than a car crash. Uh, no, that's really great. I can't think of any better uh, any better way to put it than that. And I think that's a, a really uh, uh, inspiring when you phrase it like that and think of well, it this thank way. You. Yeah. Well, I- goes to RuPaul. All the credit goes to RuPaul for that one. Well, most of the credit goes to RuPaul. (laughs) So I'm going to encourage everybody to go to gloss.us to check out uh, your website and then also to the portal.gloss.us. Is there somewhere else that you want to point people to? Uh, Is there a social media thing or uh, just go to the website and go from there? Yeah, just keep um, following Two Yellow Boobies on Twitter. Uh, They're super entertaining and I love them and um... (laughs) And yeah, thanks for having me again. Yeah, Kelly Page, CEO of the Great Lakes Observing System. Thank you so much for teaching us about the Great Lakes. Man, I love talking about the buoys, hope, and all the data and things like that. It's really exciting just to hear all the stuff that people are doing and, and can do with these really valuable resources. Yeah, and hearing what people are going to be able to do possibly. I know, I know. Sometimes I get like creeped out about all the sensors that are everywhere because, you know, uh, they're all out to get me. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) But but it also is going to, I mean, it's just to see what it's going to look like in 20 years. Uh, You know, Gloss 2000 or whatever they call it. Probably not that. You heard talking about uh, the difference between just a few years and the technology shift and societal shift, really. That was really cool. I think that was my favorite part of talking to them. I agree and how it's reflected in ways that I don't necessarily think about. Um, But it's, yeah, that sort of connection between like uh, when new technology, new data, new information becomes available, it becomes like this sort of feedback loop and changes the way we think about things and what we think about and how we think. And that when new data is available, we feel like we should automatically have access to it, which is really nice that they're giving us that access to. Yeah, I can't imagine. I don't envy them having to take all this stuff and try to make sense of it and make it available. But it's a really valuable resource. And so I do encourage everybody to check out all the info in the uh, show notes. And I also encourage everybody to go and um, follow the Two Yellow Buoys, like Kelly said, on Twitter at Two Yellow Buoys. You can follow the show at, uh, what are we, Teach Great Lakes. And where can they find out more about Illinois Indiana Sea Grant? You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at I-L-I-N Sea Grant. Um, And... We mentioned earlier that it's Citizen Science Month, so if you want to go check out uh, any projects that you can do in your neighborhood, just type in community science or citizen science into your favorite search drive. And search I think that's and that a great point. Uh, <laughs> when this comes out, maybe a, what month exactly is Citizen Science Month, Hope? Also, we're going to put it on this one. <laughs> If this happens to be May when you're listening, I encourage you to still do some community science. It's still valuable and important work. Uh, And I encourage you also to check out our editorial calendar if you are a co-host of the show. Anyway, with that, everybody, uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you actually uh, back either tomorrow or next week because this is a two-part episode related to our buoys. And so we encourage you to check part two when that is released, which will either be tomorrow or next week, depending on... Uh, things that I'm not going to decide until May because I can't make decisions during Citizen Science Month. But with that, I encourage you to keep great in those lakes.
Don't you remember with the computer voice? E 